to Nobody Told Me. I'm Laura Owens. And I'm Jan Black. Have you ever felt overwhelmed by the amount of paper you've accumulated? Have catalogs, magazines, and tech records taken over more space than you'd like? Are you at a loss to decide how you'll ever conquer the paper clutter around you? Well, if so, you'll want to hear what our guest, professional organizer Lisa Woodruff, has to say. Lisa's the author of several books on organization, including the latest, The Paper Solution, what to shred, what to save, and how to stop it from taking over your life. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. You say the number one daily organizational challenge for people is getting and keeping a handle on the paper in their lives. Why do you say that? You know, you think it's not. You think that your paper lists and your paper piles really don't matter that much. It's just a little bit of mail here or a note or two there or your to-do list. But if you start to really observe your life, paper is everywhere. And where's that paper? Where did I put that? Where did I write that down? Did I mail that bill? Did I, uh, where's the invitation for the party we're supposed to go to? And you'll find that your life is very paper-based and you're spending a lot of time trying to find information, trying to corral information, trying to get things done, and you never get to the bottom of your paper pile. When we first learned we were going to have you on, I thought to myself, how is she so interested in paper? Like what sparked this? And there's a really interesting story. So tell us that. Yes. So about 10 years ago, my father fell ill and my sister and I were his power of healthcare and power of attorney and ultimately had to settle the estate and sell our family home. And we found that we were dealing with so many emotional and family issues and planning funerals and all of that, but there was so much paper. Like, because I was four hours away, whenever I would end up at the hospital, you know, every couple of weeks, they would give me all of these numbers that were supposedly in the range of normal. But I was like, well, what was the number yesterday? And what is the number we're trying to get to? And how low does this number get before you give them a blood transfusion? And so we started writing all of this down. And it wasn't until we created a binder where we could write all of the information down and and pass it back and forth so that we would have those numbers, we had a better picture of dad's health. And then I brought all the paperwork home to Cincinnati. I grew up in the Akron, Cleveland area to settle the estate, which took me nine months. And I scoured everywhere, Amazon, blogs, podcasts, everywhere. Like, where is the checklist? Where is the guide for how to take care of somebody who's sick or settle an estate? And there was no checklist. Like, so I just had to go through all the paper and ask lawyers and, and I would meet with lawyers as a professional organizer for other clients. And I would say, well, this check didn't get cleared or you didn't know about this bank account. And they would say, well, she didn't tell me. And I said, well, how is she supposed to know what to tell you? And they said, we don't know. We can't see what's in your filing cabinet. And I realized that lawyers were frustrated. People were frustrated. Like everybody's frustrated with knowing that we need this paper, but we don't know what paper we need and when we need it. And whenever we need it, we're in a very emotionally charged situation where we aren't thinking as clearly as we normally would be. And you're almost sabotaging yourself because I, I mean, yeah. I've been in that situation before where I'm panicked in terms of trying to find a particular piece of paper. And I know in the back of my mind that I'm not thinking clearly. I'm not going to the logical place where it would be because I, I'm just getting overwhelmed. And you'd rather be with your loved one, right? Right. <laughs> you'd rather be spending the last years of your dad's life or days of his life with him, not trying to find a piece of paper for a lawyer or sitting with your family in your family home, recounting stories, not downstairs in the filing cabinet, trying to find the papers you need for the lawyer tomorrow while everybody else is getting to celebrate your dad's life. 
Mm-hmm. You talk about how it plays a role in depression and anxiety. And I feel like in your situation, it would just get so frustrating. That there would have to be a level of anxiety that would go from, okay, I'm anxious about going through these papers to just anxiety in general over other things. I mean, it has to play some sort of a role in mental health. Definitely. Because whenever you have these huge life events, uh, divorces, deaths, weddings, births, moving, nothing else stops. Like your job yeah. doesn't stop. If you're a parent, that doesn't stop. Um, and so you end up taking it from sleep. You end up taking it from any kind of self-care or personal time that you have. And so you're, you're not you're not sleeping enough. You're not replenishing yourself in any way, shape, or form because you're trying to meet all the expectations you had before this event and during this event. It's, it's just extremely stressful. In general, what advice would you have for people who are coping with an illness in the family, whether it's their own illness or the illness of a loved one, in terms of dealing with the paper that is inevitably involved in that? Yeah, for illness, there are two things. Number one, write down all the symptoms, all the medications. As you start to like just even journal it at the end of the day, or if somebody is a caretaker, like, you know what? Um, so for my daughter, I would notice that she would have different symptoms come just like her verb tenses would change when her mood altered state would change. And so I started observing there were different symptoms that she would have. They're not scientific symptoms, but just like mannerisms or, you know, just oddities that she would do that would show me that she was getting ready to need to be hospitalized. So as a caregiver, you observe things that are not medically relevant for doctors, but really help you with how people are feeling. I remember when the kids were little, like even if they had really high fevers, the pediatrician would always say, how are they acting? Like, are they up and running around? I don't care if it's 103 fever, the child's probably fine. But if it's a hundred degree fever and they're lethargic and they're on the couch, I want you to bring them in immediately. So even these um, daily symptoms, write those down. You will notice things that are unique to each person and how um, sick or well they are based just on what they're doing versus what they were, they are telling you. And then the second is to put all of the medical bills that are coming in in one box or, or one bag and everything that comes in related to that is in that bag and then just handle it every two weeks or every month and just block out a huge amount of time, open everything, staple them together so that they don't get lost until you have things reconciled. It really is a full-time job to make sure the insurance company is paying for um, what they need to pay for so that you have less to pay on your end. I'd love that for a solution going forward for our <laughs> lives, but I'm just thinking, so we just sold the home that I grew up in. We were there for 20 some years and my mom unfortunately had the task of going through the vast majority of the papers. It was very overwhelming, I think for my sister, for me, for my dad. So she went through most of that stuff and I know it was even sentimental to me and for her to go through things like our homework when we were younger and assignments we turned in that we haven't looked at in many, many years, 20 years. But in 20 <laughs> years, but at the same time, it's hard to go through those. So what would you say for people who are going through a similar situation, moving and seeing things when they look at the paper and saying, God, those are some good times or how cute it was. The kid was this young. How can we get over that sentimental hump? 
Yeah. So a couple of things. One, just do like three to five files every single night, like grab three to five files, do them as if like do the dishes, do the three files, do the laundry, like just add it into your regular day. And then as you find those sentimental things, it sounds like you guys are all together and doing this together. Have them put that in a bucket so that when you guys are at the the end of the day and you've unpacked a bunch of boxes and you've gotten the pizza and you're all sitting around go, okay, let's see what funny thing we can find in this box and pull it out and enjoy the memory. Like you save it this long don't just pitch it like hold it up and go oh my gosh I can't believe that you used to draw the arms coming straight out of your head as all children do <laughs> I mean because that's just like a way kids draw and like oh look you did curly hair on yours or um my daughter always had big lips when she was drawing her first characters and my son always had spiky hair and you have that conversation right and you can still get rid of the memory after that it's the sharing of the memory before you get rid of the paper and it'll make it easier for everyone to let go of it after you've been able to to experience that together. You know, one of the organizers that I was working with when when we were going through this process also said, you like it, you love it, take a picture of it. You'll all, you, mm-hmm. you know, use your mm-hmm. use your phone, take a picture of it and you'll have it and then uh, it'll always be there and you'll know where it is. And and I thought that was a, a wonderful way of of dealing with a lot of things, even like favorite clothes that I had that I hadn't worn in 20 years, but you know, meant something to some me. Smells now, but <laughs> that they don't in a picture. Right? <laughs> That's true. That's true. But it was nice to be able to just take a picture of it and and say goodbye that way. That's a great Absolutely. idea. Yeah. You know, you talk about when your father passed away that you all of a sudden faced this this big personal tsunami of papers and you had to get rid of things like his car catalog collection. Tell us more about what that was like and the, and the emotions that you encountered going through your father's lifetime of papers. It was super difficult because my parents had gotten divorced five years prior. And while they split the possessions in their house, they didn't do it amicably. So they never split the filing cabinet. So I not only was going through my father's stuff, but I knew my mother's stuff would be in there as well, which was, that part was awkward. So if you don't take care of, you know, splitting everything, if you go through a divorce, then your children are going to have to go through that. But also when you look at your papers, specifically the car catalogs, things like that, that was my dad's passion project. It had no financial ramification for the estate. And if you're going to do like a triage situation with your paper, just, you know, real quickly, what would be important for my kids or someone else to need and what is not as important? Being able to take those things that are really paper hobbies and putting them in a separate filing cabinet and just labeling them and saying, you know, my passion project, then if there is an instance where somebody needs to come in and go through your filing cabinets, they know that that whole filing cabinet drawer can just be shredded or recycled, that it doesn't have any financial implications on the estate. Yeah, and I think it's important to mention as well that you say that we can save less of what we think that we need to without losing what's important and that only 15% of our paper actually needs to be saved. So I think that's something to think about going forward, like you mentioned trying to separate things from, okay, this is a passion project versus something that's important. Not everything is important, even if we think that it is at the time. Yeah. And my best example to that is manuals. <laughs> we yeah. save manuals oh, yeah. for everything, like even the $15 toaster, but, but even the <laughs> you know, $10,000 water heater or whatever, we save all these manuals. And my question to you is, when was the last time you went in your filing cabinet, got out a manual and actually fixed something in your house? If you did, then save them all. But myself and all of my friends, we call people, we call a plumber, we call an electrician, you we call online. somebody. 
And never once has that person come in my house and said, all right, well, I'll fix your furnace, but could you please first go get me the man? Never. They don't need it. Why are we saving it? <laughs> you know, I was, I was surprised to, to read in your book that 23% of people at times pay their bills late simply mm -hmm. because they can't find the bill, not because they don't have the money. What kind of a, of a toll does this take? This was me 20 years ago. Now, of course, this was before I did online banking, but even I didn't have my online banking 100% digital until six months ago. This was me with two babies under the age of two, running a business from home, trying to keep it all together. I literally was paying my bills like just because I couldn't find them and I did not have a good system for regularly paying our bills. We think that paper-oriented events shouldn't exist because we should be paperless. So because they shouldn't exist and we should be paperless, we don't chunk out time in our calendar for them. Like, you know you have to do dishes and take a shower and do laundry and make your bed or not make your bed. And those are all conscious habits that we have. But as far as when do you pay your bills? When do you reconcile your checkbook or your um, calendar? When do you go through your mail each week? Do you have a set time that you do that? Or are you just kind of doing it as the mail comes in in the nooks and crannies? What ends up happening is there's no set time, so there's no accountability, and things slip through the cracks. And you end up paying maybe interest rates or fees mm -hmm. that you otherwise wouldn't be paying. Right. While I was doing research for this interview, I was looking around my apartment and thinking, my goodness, this apartment has way too many things in it, but paper is not really one of them. And I'm wondering if this could possibly be a generational thing. As a millennial, I don't own a printer and I don't think I've had one for easily five years, maybe even more. So is that true of people my age that we're going to end up with fewer papers when we grow up when I'm my mom's age and we're going through files? Is, is it going to be that paper won't be the, the main thing that we're having to go through? And yeah, just talk to us a little bit about the generational differences. I think it is true. Laura, do you have children? I do not. Okay. So when you get some of those little blessings, if you choose to, or if you are so blessed, you will have more paper than you know what to do with. And I find that this is so true for almost all millennials I talk to. They're like, I don't even know why you're still dealing with this, Lisa. Paper isn't even a thing. We are a paperless society. And then they have a baby and they come crying to me when that baby is one and they go, I am drowning in paperwork. So I do think that if you are a millennial, and you do not have children, and you do not own your house, you probably can be very paper minimalistic. But when you own a house or you get a baby, you're going to be right there with us because these are paper-worthy events. And, and the other thing is we're never going to be, even if you're a millennial, you're never going to be 100% paperless because just going to the DMV to get your compliant driver's license to fly in an airplane whenever they open that back up again. You're going to need your social security card, you're going to need your birth certificate, and you're going to need a paper utility bill. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have to have paper. They're just, America is built on paper events and having to produce paper in different times in your life. So a lot of us have this idea we'll be paperless. And then also if you read Marie Kondo's book, she will say you shouldn't have to have any paper. That is because in Japan, their birth certificates are digital. They don't have paper birth certificates. So we have paper birth certificates, marriage certificates, death certificates, tax returns, we have paper that we have to use. 
And you also say that many times, I found this fascinating, our papers represent dreams and ideas rather than useful and profitable pursuits. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yes. So before I was blessed with my two bundles of joy through adoption, we um, went through infertility. And so in my filing cabinets, I had files of, you know, all the infertility things we had tried, books that were related to infertility, medical bills related to infertility that we wrote off on our taxes. Or when I went to college, I got an early childhood degree and I had created this corporate daycare center. I even had the drawings made out and binders related to that. So a lot of the things that we've done as projects for school or, uh, um, things we've clipped out of newspapers or even recipes that you will save to try someday. These are all things that we want to do in the future, but are not necessarily something that is actionable that we're doing today or that we do on a regular basis. Or will ever do. Right. Well, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you can always hope. I have a lot of those recipes that I've never made. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, but you know what? Those cookbooks, can you ever imagine throwing them out? A lot of them take up a lot of space, but right. we do have cookbooks that my mom has had that were given to her by her mom. And, you know, they're, they're generational and you can't even imagine parting with things like those. It's like those are in their own file. It's almost as important as medical records, yeah, right? Yeah, For and our family. that you've saved, yeah. like she said, of things that you're, you're yeah. going to make this recipe. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, what effect do you think that schooling and working from home is going to have on the amount of paper being used since we're not going to have assignments to turn in in the same way? Are you talking about with the pandemic, you mean? Yes. Yeah, so I am pretty adamant as an educator myself that when you write things down with your hand, with a pencil or pen on a piece of paper, you are five times more likely to remember what you write down with your physical hand than what you type out. And there is a different brain process that happens when we physically write things out or draw or you know use our hands for things versus just typing them on a computer. Additionally, when you read things from a printed out piece of paper or a book, your brain absorbs it differently than when it reads it on, on a computer. So I feel like different children learn better in different modalities. And so my children learn best on physical paper. So my daughter's been going to community college and when she's ready to have her assignment, we go into the online portal and we print everything out and then she highlights everything and we write notes about what she's supposed to do first, second, and third. And then she goes off and does that and brings that back to me. And she would not be able to do that just digitally from a computer. So give yourself permission to go ahead and print it. Like even if the school is not going to provide it in printed form, I always had um, for my kids, the school provide actually physical textbooks, even though they had them on their iPad. Some kids just learn better that way. And then also Organize 365 has actually created a planner for the kids in our kids program because keeping track of everything on the computer, your assignments that you're doing in your online class, plus what's due by the end of the day, plus your long range projects is really abstract and hard for kids. Really, it's hard for everybody to do, but it's hard for kids to do and then communicate that to their parents and also to their teacher. And if you can just get an old fashioned calendar and write down the assignments that are due or get out a legal pad and write down your classes for the day and what you're doing in each class and then put a little fishy through that when you're done, like a little um, an X that's connected. So you're like, look, I did everything at the end of the day. It will give you a great sense of satisfaction. And then parents can look at their kids' 
list and be like, oh, I see that you wrote everything down. I see that you crossed everything out. You must be done. Or I see you have these two things left. How can I help you get those done? And it, it eases the communication versus a parent saying, what do you have left to do? And the student trying to find it or the parent going through a whole bunch of emails and then saying, get back over here. We got to get this done. <laughs> what are the health hazards associated with having a lot of paper around your home? If you have like an exorbitant amount of paper, you're going to have more dust. Like I'm allergic to dust. And I can also tell when I do some people's filing cabinets, if there's been some water in there, I can tell if there's mold or mildew, but that's very rare. What about vermin and stuff? Yeah, they like that too. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, every house I've been in, we've had, mice just like to be indoors as much as people do is all I have to say about that. Like, I don't really think it's necessarily totally a cleanly thing, but the closer you are to a woods, the more likely you're going to find one of those eventually. What should we do if we find papers that we're going to need, some sort of records that are water damaged or do have damage from vermin or just any sort of damage at all and we need to restore them to an extent. Yeah, if it's just like, um, so if it's like a legal document, like a birth certificate or something like that, you might have to go to the courthouse and get another one produced. Um, But for anything else that's not like legally stamped or notarized, you could just make a copy of it, like on a copier. And if you don't have a copier or you don't have a printer, you can go to the UPS store, you can go to Staples or any of those office supply stores. They have copiers there and you could just make copies. What's wrong with getting a storage unit to put all your paper in if you really have a ton of it? I have no problem with people getting storage units. I think they serve a great purpose, especially if you're going through a life transition and you can't go through your physical possessions or your paper in the amount of time that you need to in order to sell a house or to move or something like that. I'm very pro storage unit. As long as you know how long you're going to have that storage unit before you actually tackle it, and then what is your plan for tackling it. So if you've lost a loved one and you want to put it all in storage, and then in one year you're going to pull out two boxes every month, I think that's totally fine as long as you can afford it. And going forward, if we're just starting today saying, hey, this is a great thing to do, I want to start saving less paper, is it a good idea to just maybe print something out like you mentioned with your daughter's assignments, do the assignments, and then immediately throw something out so you're not looking at it in a couple of weeks, wondering, well, I don't know what to do with it. And I I haven't made an initial decision. Oh yes. I recycle and trash paper like hourly right before this interview. I just went through my notes and I was like, oh, that one's done. That one's done. That one's done. And I put them in the recycle pile. So paper is just there to serve you. It's not a, um, you know, a record of everything you've done. So as soon as you can look at that list and see that everything's done, go ahead and get rid of it. I like to write one thing on each index card. Index cards are very inexpensive. They're easy to carry right with your phone. And then as those things get done, I just recycle or throw them away as I go through my day. So it's not like a to-do list where I'm like, well, I did four out of 14 things. So now I have to rewrite it and keep carrying it. I would rather just have all that on note cards. How important is organization of paper and other things around the home, how important are those things to a happy relationship? I think the piece that is important to a happy relationship is specifically for women, the confidence you have in being able to retrieve items when they're requested of you. Usually it goes that way. Like a man will make a request and the woman will know the answer, but not where the piece of paper is. And then she feels like, oh, I have failed in this and I need to stop everything so I can find this piece of paper. I know as women have been doing the Sunday basket, when they can even be like driving down the road and they get that phone call, they can say, great, it's located right here. You can go get it and, and it's done. And they feel 
a sense of confidence and also that they continue on about their life instead of stopping, driving back home, finding this thing that's needed right away. What is the Sunday basket? So the Sunday basket is kind of like your inbox that you would keep on your kitchen counter. It's where you put all your mail and your actionable to-dos. And then I mentioned earlier that you need a time every week to go through things. So for me, that time is Sunday. That's when I process through my mail and my bills and what's going to go on the calendar and empty out my email inbox. And like you say, progress is better than perfect in terms of going through your things and don't just let yourself fall into the trap of, well, I can't go through all of it right now, so I might Mm -hmm. as well not even start. Exactly. Yes. You're never going to get through your to-do list. Have you ever? Like, have you ever? I've never. No, I don't think no, so. No, There's no, no more to it. No never. What are you never. trying to do? So, so the Sunday basket is more like all the possibilities of how you might spend your time next week. And as you go through it, it usually takes about 90 minutes, pay the bills, go through the calendar. And you look at all these possibilities and you say, you know what, this week I'm going to be able to get through five of these or 10 of these. And what you will find out is the fact that you're not going to get it all done. But newsflash, you're not getting it all done right now. At least you know it's in this box. If you need it, you'll know where to go find it. But you've, you've proactively selected five things you're going to get done this week. And over time, it usually takes about six weeks. You really start to feel on top of your to-dos and more in control of what's going on with your paper. And Lisa, what is the best advice you would have in terms of the general rules for what we need to save in terms of paper? So if you already know how you'd find that same piece of paper online, like through a digital search or like in the case of manuals that you never are going to fix anything, go ahead and feel free to get rid of it. If you are like, "Mm, I'm not sure if I'm going to need this paper or not, I actually counsel you to keep it. And then when you run across that paper six months or a year from now and you go, you know what, I really don't need this, you'll be more confident as you declutter and you won't worry uh, if you've over decluttered or gotten rid of too much. Lisa, at the end of each show, we ask our guests, what is your nobody told me lesson? So what is it that nobody told you about paper and what to save and what to get rid of that you wish that they had that would have made your life a lot easier when you first encountered the problem? Yeah, I think um, I fell into the belief that we would touch paper once and we were going to be paperless. And nobody told me, as Americans, we can have less paper, but you will never be 100% paperless. I spent 10 years trying to figure out how to get to paper zero, and I could never achieve that goal. But now that I know the goal is just less paper, I can achieve that every week. And you don't see a paperless future at any point in our futures? I don't for Americans, no. Interesting. Um, Lisa, how can people connect with you on social media and the internet? Sure. So I have a podcast called Organize 365 and a website by the same name, Organize365.com. All right. Well, we thank you so much for joining us, Lisa. This has been just fascinating. What a cool topic. Thank you so much for having me. Again, our thanks to our guest, professional organizer, Lisa Woodruff, whose latest book is called The Paper Solution, What to Shred, What to Save, and How to Stop It from Taking Over Your Life. And again, her website is organize365.com. And what a great time to take advantage of some of these tips during quarantine while you have the time to go through this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm Laura Owens. And I'm Jan Black. And you've been listening to Nobody Told Me. Thanks for joining us. 